Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Well, it's good to see all of you who are joining us on the Facebook live stream. I want to say to our church family um, how much I miss seeing you all. Uh, I guess we never really fully appreciate something until we realize uh, that we have to deal without it. And worshiping here, I'm thankful that we can worship here in this way, but worshiping without you all here present is is a huge void, and I just want to say how much uh, I, I am, my staff, our folks here, how much we miss y'all, and, and uh, I love you so much. I hope that you are doing well. Uh, I want to talk to you in a continuation of something that I started with you last week about Christianity and the coronavirus. Uh, it's probably been said billions of times from one person to another. Have you ever seen anything like this? These are unprecedented times. These are uncharted waters. And somebody will say that to you or you'll say it to someone and you'll you'll say in in response, boy, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, I've never seen anything like these times in my lifetime. And so uh, it's a time really to to try to be safe. It's a, a time to, to be at home and, and connect with family, with spouses, with, uh, with, with things that we need, simple things that we need to be reconnecting with. And so, um, but anyway, I want you to, to open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation. We'll begin reading in a moment with chapter six of the Revelation, and we'll be uh, skipping over through several places in the Revelation in, in just a few moments. We're in a crisis time, a global crisis, and I find that, that when I go through crises like this one in, in my own life, it's, it, it's good for me to go back and examine how people in, in previous times responded to different crises in their own lives, in their own generation. And one such crisis occurred back in the last decade of the first century, Uh, somewhere between 90 and 100 uh, AD or or CE, however you want to record it. The Roman Empire was in control of most of the world, and the leader of the Roman Empire was a man by the name of Domitian. And Domitian believed that he was God. He believed he was divine. And he was a very narcissistic leader. He, he loved to be appreciated. He loved for people to brag on him. And he got to the point where he insisted that people call him God. They, he insisted that they call him Lord. He sent a, a group of soldiers throughout the Roman Empire uh, with, equipped with a, a, a statue of himself and everywhere they would go, they would, they would set up that statue, that image of Domitian, and would require citizens of the Roman Empire to come and bow before that image and say the words, Caesar is Lord. Well, of course, that went against the grain of everything that Christians believed, because Christians in that day, as is the case today, believed that only Jesus is Lord. And so if they refused to bow down and worship Domitian, 
then these Christians were uh, tortured, arrested. Some of them were killed. Uh, Many of them had their families separated from them. Those who were business owners had their businesses shut down. Or if their businesses weren't shut down, the government would encourage everybody not to do business with them. So basically, they were run out of business. And so it was a, a crisis time for these Christians, and, and they were young Christians. Christianity as a faith was still very young. They were only separated from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus by a mere uh, 60 to 70 years. And so these people were wondering, how could this possibly be happening to us? This wasn't what we signed up for. This wasn't what we thought following Jesus would be all about. We thought Jesus would protect us. We thought Jesus would go with us. We thought Jesus would, we thought, we just thought things would be different if we followed Jesus. And so they had a lot of questions. And the only person that they knew to to ask these questions to was a man by the name of John. John was a leader in the Christian faith in the last decade of the first century. He was uh, what most believe uh, he was an old man. Uh, because of his preaching and because of his testimony, the Romans had, had arrested him and put him in a prison on the tiny island of Patmos, located in the Aegean Sea between what is now Greece and Turkey. And so... These people would write to John and they would ask him some questions and he wrote back to them what ends up being for us the book of Revelation. And they were asking in particular four special questions. And I think that many of us in this coronavirus crisis are asking some of the same questions. Here's what those four questions were. Why is this happening to us? What is going to happen to us? Where is God in this crisis? Seems like God is AWOL. And what should we do? These four questions. Now, if you were with us last week, we addressed one of those questions, one of those four questions, and that question was, where is God in all of this? Where is God? Uh, We thought he's supposed to be with us. We don't see him. We don't feel him. It doesn't look like he's in charge. Where is God in all this? And if you recall, we answered that question. Actually, John answered that question in the book of Revelation with, um, with some very simple but powerful and profound answers. The first thing he said was this. Where is God in all this? He says, first of all, God is with us even when it doesn't feel like it. John saw a vision in Revelation chapter 1 of Jesus in, in, and he's described in ways that are majestic and kingly and divine and powerful. And when we see Jesus in that, in that vision, he's in a particular place. He's walking among the churches. He wasn't way out there somewhere. He wasn't far off, so far off that he couldn't relate to what the people were going through. He was with them. And by that, John was saying to his readers, and he's saying to us today, God is with us even when it doesn't feel like he's with us. You may feel absolutely alone, but you're never alone. If you have a relationship with the Lord, he's with you even when it doesn't feel like it. Secondly, we saw that God is on the throne even when it doesn't look like it. 
When we skip forward to Revelation chapter 4, John is taken up into heaven where he sees a vision of heaven. And in the distance, he saw a throne and someone sitting on it. And that person who was sitting on it was none other than God himself. And what John was saying by relating that vision was simply this. It may feel like the Roman Empire is on the throne. It may feel like the Roman Emperor Domitian is on the throne. For us today... We may feel like the coronavirus is on the throne or some other entity, but John is saying, was saying to them and is saying to us, God is on the throne even when it may not look like he's on the throne. The third thing that John communicated to these people was that God holds their future in his hands. Later in uh, chapter 4 and then going into chapter 5, John says that on the throne, God had a scroll in his mighty right hand. And that scroll, as it turns out, they didn't have books in that era. They only had scrolls. Books had not been invented. But he had a scroll where there was printing on both sides of the scroll. It was rolled up, and God had it in his right hand. That scroll, as it turns out, was a book that detailed John's readers' future. Their future was in God's hands, and nobody could pluck it out of God's hands. I think John is saying to us today, not only is God with us when it doesn't look like it, not only is he on the throne when it doesn't appear that he's on the throne, but God holds our future in his hands, and nobody, no power, no virus is going to be able to pluck our future out of God's hands. And then the fourth thing we saw last week was that there is no better place to entrust our future than in the hands of Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 4 and 5 that uh, God was holding this, this scroll in his right hand and John looked and nobody was worthy or nobody was capable of coming and taking that future from God's hands. It seems that God wanted to hand off that future to someone who was worthy of it. And there was only one person who turned out was worthy. It was a lamb who was also a lion. Jesus in the scriptures is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John says that this lamb, Jesus, took the scroll from the right hand of God, telling us that there's no greater place to put our future than in the hands of Jesus. So those are four powerful things that we saw from last week, and I want to review those with you today because in case you didn't, you didn't get last week, you need to hear that. But now I want to address a second of the four questions that, that John's readers were asking him, and here's that question. Here's what it is. What is about to happen to us? What is going to happen to us? I'll guarantee you Everyone who is listening to this telecast has at some point, maybe even this morning, asked the question, what on earth is about to happen? What is about to happen to us? Well, John's readers were asking that same question, and John had an answer for them about what was about to happen. So I want us to look at Revelation to see exactly what is about to happen. And there are three things that John tells his readers about their immediate future. Uh, And the first thing he tells them is this, things will get worse before they get better. Things will get worse 
before they get better. Now, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 6. John is still in this vision, and he sees a series, he, he sees this scroll, and the Lamb of God, Jesus, is holding the scroll. The scroll is rolled up. Now, again, they didn't have a book in that day, so the scroll would be rolled up, something like this, and there were seven wax seals that sealed the scroll shut. Now, in this vision, Jesus, the Lamb of God, one at a time would remove the seals, one seal at a time. And as he would, some part of the future would be opened up. So Jesus is going to open up these seven seals. Now, Revelation chapter 6, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come, I looked, and there before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Now listen to this in verse six. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power. What's this? They were given power over a fourth. That's 25% of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague and by the wild beast of the earth. Now, I want you to notice two things about this passage so far. The first thing I want you to notice is that there is a shortage of essential items. In particular, if you look again at uh, uh, verse number six, there's a creature who says two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of dar- barley for a day's wages. Those are, that, that reflects a shortage of groceries and do not damage the oil and the wine. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Has anybody been to the grocery store lately? Some of you, I know, went to get toilet paper and you found none. Uh, Some of you went to get sanitizer and you found none. Uh, Some of you probably went to get liquid soap or, or solid soap and you found none. Well, maybe with the exception of yellow soap and uh, yellow liquid soap and yellow solid soap, you can check with the gaddies about that one. But outside of that, there's a shortage of everything, a shortage There was a shortage of things at the grocery store for John's people. But that's not the only thing we noticed. Not only was there a shortage of essential items, but also verse 8 tells us that one-fourth of the earth was impacted by the events uncovered by the seals. That's 25%. Now, now I want you to make a special note of that. 25% of the earth was impacted. Now, with that in mind, I want us to skip forward to chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, where we will begin reading with with verse 6 and read down through uh, verse 12. John is still in this vision. This is a long vision. It starts in chapter 4, goes all the way through chapter 20. 
And he says this in Revelation 8, beginning with verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third, what's that? A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all of the grass was burned up. Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third, you see that again? A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a, on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. Watch this. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and watch this. A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, and a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Now let's just pause here for a moment and let's see what we've seen thus far. What we've seen is this, whereas with the seals, when the seals were revealed, 25% of the earth was impacted. That's chapter six. But then when the seals are finished and, and you, you have, after the seven seals were revealed, you had seven trumpets that sounded with each trumpet, 33% of the earth is impacted. So we've gone from one-fourth of the earth impacted to one-third of the earth impacted, okay? So from one-fourth to one-third. What's happening here? Well, put simply, John is saying, folks, here's your future. Things will get worse, but he's not done. I wish he was, but he's not done. I want you to fast forward with me to chapter 10, chapter 10. Something very unusual happens in chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1 and read through verse 4. John says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll. Now, this is a different scroll from the scroll that Jesus is holding. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. Now, keep in mind here, we started out with seven seals. The seven seals gave way to seven trumpets. The trumpets now are giving way to seven thunders. But look at verse 4. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. That is, he was about to write down what, the, he was write, about to write down the message that the seven thunders were proclaiming. I was about to write, he says, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. John was allowed to write down what the seals revealed. John was allowed to write down what the trumpets sounded, but he was prohibited from writing down what the thunders 
communicated. And so let's look at where we've, where we've been so far. Look at, uh, again, 25% of the earth was impacted by the seals. 33% of the earth was impacted by the trumpets. We don't know what percentage of the earth was impacted by the thunders. Let me just stop here and say this. And I want you to hear this. You already know this. John couldn't write down what the thunders were saying because we don't have answers to everything. We have to rely on faith. You know what faith is? Faith is believing in something even though you don't have all the answers. Faith is believing and acting upon that belief even though you don't have all of the scientific evidence to support uh, what, what you believe in. The fact of the matter is we don't have all the answers. You show me someone who can come to you. I don't care if they have doctor in front of their name. I don't care if they have, have a, a list of, of credentials after their last name that goes 10 miles long. If they tell you that they know everything, my friend, that person is not telling you the truth. We don't know everything. And so with the thunders, John was told not to write. Now that's in chapter 10. Now fast forward six chapters to chapter 16. Now we've gone uh, from seven seals to seven trumpets to seven thunders. And now in chapter 16, we're going to see seven bowls of wrath poured out on the earth. And here's what John says, chapter 16, verse one. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of wrath, of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And watch this, every living thing in the sea died. Not one-fourth of everything in the sea, not one-third of everything in the sea, every living thing in the sea died. Verse 17, and the seventh angel poured out his bowl, his vial, into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightning and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. That would be the city of Rome. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon, which is a symbol for the city of Rome, great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of God's wrath. And watch this, verse 20. And every island, not one-fourth of the islands, not one-third of the islands, every island fled away and the mountains were not found. So what are we saying here? Well, in verse 2, of chapter 16, John says to us that every living thing in the sea died. And verse 20 says, every island melted away and every mountain was gone because not a single mountain was found. 
And so what we're seeing here with the bowls of wrath is that, that uh, 100% of the earth was impacted. So again, go back to our chart, and here's what you find. In chapter 6, the seals were open, and 25% of the earth was impacted. Later on in chapters 8 and 9, the trumpets are sounded, and 33% of the earth is impacted. In the bowls, in chapter 16, 100% of the earth is impacted. Now, in between the trumpets and the bowls, we have the thunders. We don't know. John doesn't tell us what, what percentage of the earth was impacted, but we can safely assume that since the trumpets impacted 33% and the bowls impacted 100%, that the thunders being situated in between those two probably impacted at least somewhere between 33% and 100%. Let's just split it down the middle and say 75%. So all of this to say, the tragic times for John's readers, their future This is the book of the future that that Jesus is revealing to them. This is what they wanted to know. What is about to happen? Well, things will get progressively worse, starting at 25% impact to 33% to 75% to 100% impact. The, The bottom line here is things will get increasingly worse. Three weeks ago today, we met here in live stream for the first time with just a few of our people here, about 85 to 90 people. Last Sunday, we were here with less than 10. Today, we're here with 10. We're all keeping our distance from each other. It's really kind of awkward. But four weeks ago, when we met here to a full, two full congregations, the number of deaths from this coronavirus in the entire world was less than a thousand. In fact, it was less than 500 four weeks ago. Today, this morning, so far the count is, is over 125,000 people infected and thousands of people have lost their lives. Things will get worse. Folks, I'm telling you, you, you find someone who's going to tell you that things are going to get better within the next week or two or three, they're not telling you the truth. Things will get worse. They'll get worse before they get better. But the second thing I think that John wants to tell us is, but things will get better. They're not going to get better in the next few days or weeks, but they will get better. And to find that, I want you to look with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, beginning with verse 1. John says, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Now, picture being in a a stadium of 90,000 people filled to capacity, and all of them are shouting at one time. Those of you who have been to college football games or to uh, a packed stadium watching your favorite sports team when they were really good and they were winning a game, and you hear the massive sound of the crowd, the deafening sound of the crowd, and and it makes the adrenaline start uh, uh, churning in your body. After this, I saw, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude, John says, in heaven, and they're shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. 
He's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He's avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried. That is, they were singing. Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And what does that sound like to you? Now, we've, we've, been going, we've gone through chapters 4 through 19 of utter, or, or chapter 4 through 16 of utter misery with things getting worse and worse. John, John is telling the people honestly. He's being honest with them. Listen, the good news of Jesus starts out with the honest reflection of where we are and what our immediate future is. And it's not always good. In this case, for John readers, it, readers, it wasn't good. For us, the immediate future does not look bright. However, though things will get worse, they will get better. And in, John, in Revelation chapter 19, we see the heavenly host praising God, a stadium in heaven filled to capacity, roaring with deafening decibels of praise. And why are they doing that? This is not the sound of defeat. This is not the sound of destruction. This is the sound of victory. So after things get worse, things will become victorious. Things will get better. That's what John was saying to his people, and that's what John's message also says to us today. Folks, we're in the middle of a crisis, the likes of which you and I have never seen before. Things will get worse before they get better, but things will get better. They'll get better for you. You say, well, Jimmy, what about those folks who... Uh, have already died. Things didn't get better for them. Or what about those folks who will die? And there will be many more who die from this, this uh, coronavirus, this COVID-19. What about those folks? Hey, listen, I hope I don't get COVID-19. I really do. My, my beautiful and wonderful wife, Amanda, is trying to keep me six feet away from everybody. But I want to tell you something. If I come down with that rascal and it takes my earthly life, my last breath here, my next breath is going to be in the presence of Jesus. My next breath is going to be where I can see my granny and papa or again. My next breath is where I'm going to see my first cousin and who was, was practically my best friend Gretchen again. I'm going to see people I love again. <laughs> it's going to get shown up better after it gets worse. Things will get better. Now, there's one other thing that John's going to tell us. And for this, we have to back up all the way to chapter 5. And the thing he's going to tell us here is that in spite of everything that's going on, your lives, your life can be full. And I want to show you this. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this would be in the right hand of God, a scroll... 
Remember, a scroll was what we'd call a book, and it was a, a rolled up, long rolled up piece of parchment. He says, I saw a scroll that was sealed with seven seals, but what I want you to notice is I saw a scroll with writing on both sides. Now, most scrolls that experts have found only has writing, only have writing on, writings on one side, not the back side. But this scroll was different. It had writing on the front and the back. It was totally full of text on the front and the back. It was full. What does that mean? It means simply this, that your life can be full. John was saying to his readers, look, I know you're going through severe struggles and trials right now, but your life can be full. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. The thief comes to steal that from you, but he says, I've come to give you a full life. Scroll written on both sides. That's your future. If your future is in the hands of the Lord Jesus, if you have trusted your eternal future into the hands of Jesus. So let me review one final time. Where is God in all this that we're going through? Well, he's with us even when it doesn't feel like it. He's on the throne even when it doesn't look like it. He holds our future in his hands and nobody can take it out of his hands. And our future is most secure in the hands of Jesus. What is about to happen to us? What's about to happen to us? Well, first of all, things are going to get worse before they get better. They're going to get increasingly worse before they get better. But second, things will get better. God is intervening. And you will see the evidence of his intervention very soon. Things will get worse before they get better, but things will get better. But if your life is in Christ, if your future is entrusted to Christ, you can have both now and then a full life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. That in your word... Almost 2,000 years ago, you set out some principles that when we lay them out, they're as if you were writing them for us here in March of 2020. The crises that you helped your people through in the past, you will help your people through in the present. And we love you for that, Lord. And we worship you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.